Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. This is the Mother of All Talk Shows Extra, produced under emergency wartime conditions, deep underground. A lot of people have written to me to say that for almost 25 seconds, my monologue was interrupted and it was the sound of silence. Though you saw my lips moving, you heard nothing at all. I'm told that the clips of the monologue are not containing that period of silence. So if you want to check it out, you can on my voluminous social media, which is going up in following by well over a thousand people a day across my various platforms. And that's one of the reasons, only one, why I'm still broadcasting to you. Now, the Honorable Craig Murray, former British ambassador to Uzbekistan, was invited as a guest at the wedding in Belmarsh Prison today, not since uh, the ballad of Reading Jail and uh, Oscar Wilde's momentous piece of work from there, has a jail wedding been looked forward to by more people around the world, as I'm sure it was to the bride and groom. The bride looked ravishing when she arrived at the prison, dressed by Vivian Westwood, but we were unable to see what Julian looked like because no photographs of the wedding were permitted. Imagine, no wedding photographs. Now, I have severe doubts as to the legality of the way that the prisoner, Julian Assange, has been handled throughout all of this period when he's been held in a maximum security jail, accused of nothing in Britain, guilty of nothing in Britain, merely held there pending extradition proceedings. I highly doubt whether it can possibly have been legal to ban the guests of the prisoner, an untried, unconvicted prisoner in Belmarsh Prison. I have severe doubts as to whether the ban on a wedding photograph was legal. I'm not a lawyer, and I'm certainly not Julian Assange's lawyer. But I do pray to God that he blesses the union of Mr. and Mrs. Assange forever, and that they can hold hands freely and walk in fields of gold. And I am dedicating this show tonight to them and to their children, who have been cruelly separated from their father for all of these years. And if the courts so decide, will possibly never kiss their father's face again. Just think about that. Now, as I said in the beginning, uh, it's against my religion to speak ill of the 
recently dead, but every now and again a demise comes along that simply forces one to break that heavenly protocol, and this is one of them. The mass killer, Madeleine Albright, the Secretary of State and Ambassador to the United Nations in the Clinton administration in the 1990s, is one of those exceptions. Madeleine Albright was a mass killer, and she justified the mass murder of, at that time, more than half a million Iraqi children who died oftentimes before they even knew that they were Iraqis, but who died for no other reason than that they had been born Iraqis in that unfortunate time. Half a million, asked Leslie Stahl of ABC News, of Madeleine Albright. If more than half a million Iraqi children have died as a result of your sanctions, do you think, asked Leslie Stahl, that it's a price worth paying? Without missing a beat, the now departed Madeleine Albright answered, it's a price we believe is worth paying. Damned from her own lips on the judgment day, forever, surely. If there is a judgment day, as I believe that there is for all of us, then surely she is on her way to hell. She was also the bomber of Yugoslavia. In fact, the uh, anniversary of her bombing of Yugoslavia is imminent, and that she has passed away before that anniversary will be seen as particularly significant for the people of Belgrade, a bombed for 89 days by the Clinton administration and the administration of Tony Blair. There are other big stories, of course, in the news. We talked about the McCarthyism that is abroad earlier. Well, uh, a local radio station star by the name of Julia Hartley Brewer said on Twitter today by retweeting a call that I should be interned in the Isle of Man. This is how fragile civil society in Western countries is right now and arguably has been for the last couple of years. Dissident voices that they all told us in the words of Voltaire that they completely disagreed with us, but they would die for our right to say what we think, have been completely shredded. First, it was the vaccine mandates. Then it was the querulous voices raised about the efficacy of the vaccinations uh, on the coronavirus. And now it is the war. Me, almost 30 years an elected member of parliament, six times elected to the British parliament. Me, a man with an audience numbered in the millions every single week, in the millions. Me, with two million followers on social media, I should be exiled, interned 
in a camp in the Isle of Man. That's how flimsy uh, this facade of so-called liberal, so-called democracy actually really is. And the truth is that many, like her, who railed against the mainstream media when it came to Donald Trump, when it came to Brexit, when it came to Nigel Farage and on the other side of politics, many who railed against the mainstream media in their treatment of Jeremy Corbyn have copiously drunk the Kool-Aid over the war propaganda. And just like that, they are ready to banish, silence, deplatform, cancel, have sacked anybody who disagrees with them. That's the liberty and democracy that we are fighting for. The kind of liberty that ends up with gypsies with their faces painted, tied to lampposts, their pants pulled down and left down so that they can be viciously assaulted, then sexually abused by any passerby on the streets of Kiev, in the center of Kiev, in the main square of Kiev. A Ukrainian nationalist, fascist, who knows, beat a group of young gypsy women and their mother, beat them mercilessly with a large rubber phallus, kicked them, punched them, sprayed poison in their faces, all on camera, filmed by their own friends on camera to show how big and brave they are. That's the liberty and democracy that we are fighting for in Ukraine. I was told uh, that it was a figment of my imagination uh, that ISIS and Al-Qaeda fighters had been brought into the heart of Europe in Ukraine by the Ukrainian government and its NATO allies to fight against the Russians. I made it up, they said. In fact, just 24 hours ago, a balloon, a barrage balloon called Stephen Daisley said exactly that in a spectator steerpike piece. No sooner had he written it, no sooner had it been published than the first video emerged of the ISIS Al-Qaeda fighters fighting against Russians in Ukraine. Coming to a high street near you once the war is over with man pads, SAM missiles, shoulder held, can bring down an airplane, can destroy a train, can blow up a Christmas market. Watch out and be careful what you wish for. Ernst Talman, the leader of the German Communist Party, imprisoned in a concentration camp, I think Buchenwald, in Germany from 1933 to 1944, before the Hitler fascists murdered him in the camp, executed him against a wall in the camp, had a big statue, a beautiful one, 
made for him. There it is there in Germany, in presumably the eastern part of Germany. A man murdered by Hitler. A man who once led the second biggest party in Germany. A man who was an anti-fascist fighter. A German man in Germany. His statue is to be melted down because they want to protest Putin's war in Ukraine. Talman was German, not Russian. Putin is Russian, but not communist. Why would you destroy a statue to a German communist to protest against Putin's war? Well, for the same reason that you closed the Karl Marx Library in a university on the west coast of the United States because, of course, the famous German philosopher, Dr. Marx, who died in the 19th century, has everything to do with a war in 2022 launched by a Russian, the Russian president and the Russian government. That's how flimsy everything is, but it's also how stupid everything is. And I tell you now, remember you heard it here. Just like now that you cannot find any sentient being in the land who will admit to having been gung-ho for the Bush and Blair war 19 years ago in Iraq, certainly no one that will turn up to debate their support of it. And I dare say, just like the people living next door to Auschwitz who claimed that they had no idea there was a mass extermination camp right next door to them. They didn't know that the smell was burning humans. They didn't know that the ash belonged to millions of Jews, Poles, Slavs, communists, gypsies, disabled people, Jehovah's Witnesses that were being incinerated there. They didn't know. Just like that, I'm telling you now that millions of you have been had and the time will come and very soon that you'll be embarrassed at the twibbons that you sported. You'll be ashamed of the war propaganda that you recycled. And I want to deal with one other issue in the time left available to me. I am certain that the United States, not NATO, I've stopped talking about NATO. NATO is merely the American Foreign Legion, that's all. The United States is on the verge of a false flag WMD incident in Ukraine. Of that, I'm certain. When I saw Joe Biden talk about how with his back to the wall, President Putin was about to launch a chemical or biological attack in Ukraine. How 
is Russia's back to the wall. Can idiots not read maps? Can they not look at a map and see how far from a Russian back to the wall the military situation is? And if their back was to the wall, how would their back be able to get off the wall by launching a chemical or biological attack in Ukraine? How? How? How does that improve their military, political, economic situation? The only people who want a WMD incident in Ukraine are those masters of war who crave more and more of it. The Madeleine Albrights of the 21st century those that are ready to fight to the last drop of Ukrainian blood, those who can turn their eyes away from the swastikas and the jackboots, those who can turn their eyes away from the gypsies strapped to lampposts being mercilessly tortured and sexually abused, those who averted their eyes from Babi Yar, when thousands, thousands, thousands of Jews were murdered mercilessly by the Nazis and their Ukrainian allies, led by the man whose banner flies aloft that blue and yellow flag that you poor fools have been worshipping. Here's the first poll of the evening. Should NATO be disbanded? A, yes, B, no. You can vote on my Twitter handle. You can vote on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to it if you're there now. And you can vote on my Telegram channel. And if you're watching on Facebook, then please share the show with all of your friends. Here are the phone numbers. Uh, because I expect a lot of people will want to call tonight. We had something like 300 calls on Sunday night. Uh, we only were able to answer 35 of them, but we have a double phone system now in, so we ought to be able to answer quite a large number more. The number, if you're in the United Kingdom, is 0808196552. And it's entirely free to call. If you're in the United States, it's equally free, toll free, will cost you nothing. And the number is plus one eight four four nine four four double three double four. That's the United States and Canada. And you can email the show anytime, of course, at onair at moats.tv. Now, Andy Borum certainly doesn't bore them. Andy Borum is a scintillating commentator on events, personalities, trends, everything to do with China. He is the creator and the host of China Reports. He's a New Zealander, a Kiwi, but he's the man with the ultimate accolade. He's the first foreigner ever to be stamped with the designation China state-affiliated media. 
Wear it like a badge of honor, Andy. And thanks for staying up past three in the morning uh, to be with us uh, this evening. First of all, clear that matter up. How come a New Zealand boy, blonde, blue eyes, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> gets branded as Chinese state-affiliated media? How did that happen? Who branded you? Well, firstly, I would love to say thank you so much for having me on tonight, uh, George. It's a real honor. Of course, you said uh, you mentioned it is about 3.30 in the morning here in China, so I'm going to try my best. First off, I want to show you. You said wear the affiliated, state-affiliated badge as a, uh, a badge of honor. I've actually had some made. I don't know if you can see that. Um, I think. Oh, how wonderful. Cool. What a great, um, think... great thing to do. I have to turn it around. That is I wonderful. The people who, who want to have me branded and anyone else branded as China state media, Russian state media, they see it as um, a negative. So I really feel like I want to turn it around. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, but, yeah, I think um, during the Beijing Olympics, I had a few run-ins with some um, U.S. Uh, journalists who were really on the attack of China, uh, posting some really negative, really nasty stuff. Uh, so I think a lot of them um, kind of reported me to uh, Twitter, as well as ASPE, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, had a bit of a thing for me during the Olympics. So, yeah, it was a fun time. But now I'm branded and I'm, I'm wearing it like a badge of honour. Excellent. And hadn't the uh, New Zealand government anything to say about this? Surely they are champions of freedom of speech in New Zealand. No, I haven't heard anything. Um, but the funny thing is, um, you know, with Twitter, especially from the US being champions of free speech, um, a lot of people don't realize that when you're branded um, China state media, Russian state media, it's not just the tag that you receive. You're also pretty much silenced on Twitter. Um, you, you don't need to use hashtags anymore because no one's going to see them. If someone who's not following you searches you on there, you're just invisible. So... I think, um, you know, having a tag would be fair enough. Uh, just the tag in itself, let people decide for themselves if they want to, you know, take what you have to say uh, to heart. But instead they go a lot further and a lot of people don't realise that. So I think, yeah, it's, it's quite unfair. Yes, of course. Uh, nobody brands uh, British state media on the foreheads of mm. the BBC and yet they could not be more slavishly servants of uh, the British state, utterly slavish, obesant. Uh, I noticed today, because I had a, an hour or two spare in the car uh, coming to the show, uh, that a very large number of BBC blue ticks uh, follow me on Twitter. So I blocked them all. After all, if they want <laughs> to uh, have me uh, blocked and silenced, why should I allow them to follow me on Twitter? Anyway, these are all child games. Let's get to the big stuff. Um, China, arguably, is the main beneficiary of this great schism. It will be seen in history as a conscious uncoupling uh, between East and West. China will now be able to be supplied by all of the things that Russia used to sell uh, to the West, pipelines are being built, and China's finance sector uh, is being immeasurably strengthened by the decision to uh, 
to kick out Russia and everything Russian from the SWIFT system of banking settlements. There must be, mm. I would have thought, if not uh, officially trumpeted, something of an air of confidence uh, in China these days. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, as well as all the reasons you've mentioned, I think China uh, is in a, a unique position now to come across as as an adult in this situation. I really feel like um, the US obviously is pushing, pushing and pushing and pushing for more violence, more bloodshed. Um, and so China uh, gets to come off as, you know, the big guy in the, in the situation. But I do think it's unfortunate because, um, you know, China's position on this whole situation is very clear. Uh, you know, they want to see uh, talks, uh, negotiations, um, and, and a peaceful end to this where both sides are happy. But, of course, that message is quite hard to get out uh, with the US and Western uh, media in general having a, a real monopoly on information. So I think we've got to keep pushing, but um, there's a lot uh, for China to benefit here, as you called it, a schism. I do really think this is a, a decoupling, and it's a time for uh, us to really march forward with a more multipolar world. And I think the US is, is really feeling that pressure. That's why they're uh, trying to call everybody up and being rejected by a lot of uh, world leaders. I think um, not only it's not only us that see this happening, it's also the US. So I think that's a great thing. But, you know, it was, it was funny, uh, but tragic to see the Biden administration uh, kowtowing to uh, the government of Venezuela, uh, whom they had blackguarded and sanctioned and isolated and sent mercenaries in to murder the president and so on, uh, but to have to turn up to that same government, whom they de-recognized years ago and plucked an imposter, Juan Guaido, off the street and said, that man there is the president, then gave him billions of dollars worth of Venezuela's sovereign funds and gold from around the world. That was kind of funny. But when I saw Blinken and his underlings warning China before the big meeting with China in the last few days uh, about what they must do, I, I, I couldn't help but think of the words of Dong Xiaoping delivered to the British when they were griping about the imminent... Uh, arrangements for Hong Kong. He said the days when China can be ordered around by foreigners is gone. Uh, they don't seem to realize that openly threatening China, sending your warships off the coast of China, stuffing Taiwan full of weapons, seeking to establish a chain of military bases uh, around what they call the Indo-Pacific, is the last possible way uh, to persuade China to do what the West would like. Yeah, I do. I, I feel like it's quite unfortunate that the U.S. side really uh, underestimates uh, a lot of these uh, communications with other world leaders. As you say, I think the best way to... Um, to deal with China is communication, open communication and seeing each other as equals. But that is absolutely not something the US government or US foreign policy leans towards. Of course, 
probably one of the biggest failures in US foreign policy. And a lot of uh, the belief of many uh, average Americans is that the US is, is morally righteous, is good. Um, they really feel deep down to the core fundamentally that that anything they push for is is the right way, is the good way. And they just can't understand when it doesn't work out and they can't understand when people don't agree with them, when countries don't agree with them. So I think it's, it's really unfortunate. I think the Biden administration and any future administration in the US is going to need to work really hard to understand that dynamic and really start start seeing other world powers, especially China, um, on a level playing field. I think that's the only way we're going to move forward. And I think they need to come to terms with the fact that the world is moving to more of a multipolar kind of situation. And the days of the US as the world policeman or as the world bully, as I would like to see, um, are really numbered, I think. The uh, the way in which they conduct their international relations belies the change that there has been. Uh, the rise of China economically and militarily and in many other ways. The rise back again of Russia. Uh, they, they loved Russia when it was lying drunk on the floor in the Yeltsin era and everyone could pick its pockets, but they hate the new Russia, which is literally hypersonic and, uh, and well able to fight them if they uh, want to have a fight. They still act as if they were in that brief period, historically speaking, from the end of the Soviet Union to the uh, situation we have today, this end of history, Fukuyama, single power politics, and so on. Uh, it's like they hadn't caught up. Or is it just an inherent arrogance, this American exceptionalism? I think it is an inherent and fundamental arrogance. I think uh, somebody called it the myth of American exceptionalism because it really is a myth. Um, a lot of, you know, not just US foreign policy, but like I said before, very average Americans really feel fundamentally that they are exceptional, that they are the be-all and end-all, that everything, you know, they stand for, their democracy, their, their system of, you know, everything is the way that everyone else in the world needs to, to be. They really want to export uh, and have been trying to export and successfully in some cases, exporting their own systems uh, around the world. But I think that's really coming to an end, and I really feel like uh, they need to start re realising that because it's going to get more and more dangerous. Um, not only us from the outside looking at the US can see that, you know, the empire is falling, but I think they're starting to see it themselves. And I don't feel like um, they're going to, you know, move back peacefully. I think it could get um, a lot more dangerous, and we're seeing that uh, today with, you know, the situation with Ukraine and Russia. Uh, they're also pushing for, uh, you know, armed conflict between uh, China and Taiwan. It's really a scary, a scary time. So I really feel like we need to try to change people's thinking, try to communicate more, and try to make this shift happen in a more peaceful way. Before, when we were shifting from, you know, the UK, when the UK was the willpower to the US, it, it kind of it, it switched a lot more peacefully because uh, there was that cultural affinity, uh, English speakers, Anglo-Saxons. Now that that switch is happening uh, to, you know, big, scary uh, China, big, scary India, big, scary Russia, uh, people who don't necessarily share the same systems, the same beliefs, um, 
yeah, it's looking it's looking scary, but I really hope we can move forward in a peaceful manner. I'm, I'm really crossing my fingers. Now, uh, although they call you uh, China State Media, we both know that you you don't speak for China and you don't have to speak mm. for China. So let me ask you a slightly difficult question. The one oh, okay. bone of contention I can see in this new Eurasian future is the uh, differences between China and India. This will have, this will have to be bridged. Uh, the mm. quarrel between these two countries, which has frequently erupted into war, and even quite mm. recently unarmed war, uh, these are not sufficient casus belli uh, to stand in the way of these great new developments. What thinking do you think is going on in China about how to resolve their differences with India? Well, I think, like you said, that's a really tough question. I wouldn't like to hazard a guess as to what the thinking is uh, in China. But my, me personally, I really feel like both sides would love to uh, move past the, the situation. Obviously, a big part of it is um, land disputes um, between India and China. And both sides uh, really don't feel like budging. But I think it's a real shame and a lost opportunity because like you said, uh, India and China, two really great powers, two civilizational powers that have long, long histories, much longer than the West, much longer than the US, that could really be a force for real good uh, and, and, you know, to shape the future world, the Asian century. So me personally, like you said, I don't speak for China. Um, I would love to see them somehow overcome this. It seems like a really small issue, but I think it is a huge issue between both sides. Um, I think they've each pushed for concessions. None of it's really worked out. But I think now would be a time uh, in the current situation to really get together and butt heads and, and try and figure something out. Um, to be honest, I'm not holding out much hope for any quick uh, change there. But if it were me, my personal opinion, I would love to see uh, India and China be able to overcome that that obstacle and really unite to, to forge ahead with the new world order, as you could put it. Andy Borum, go and get some well-deserved sleep. Thanks for staying up so late to join us on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, should NATO be disbanded? Well... On Twitter, A, yes, 73%, B, no, 23%. On YouTube, yes, 91% to 9%. On Telegram, 95% to 5%. Get voting on these three platforms. Uh, now, uh, Joman is in Louisiana. Let me hear from Louisiana. Who wouldn't want to? Go ahead, please. Thanks, caller. Hey, good, good evening. How you doing? Thanks for taking my good. call. Good. Nice to hear from you. Likewise. Uh, I'd just like to ask some questions and piggyback off of what the last caller said. Uh, the, the American decline is rapidly, in, it, it's, in, it's in full force right now, man. It's, it's in uh, walk speed, you could say. And the problem that we're having as far as being American and to give you pretty much an insight as the way we're looking at it is that 
uh, with food prices, energy prices, and everything's going on with inflation. And we have seen this happen out many, many times before. And I'm, I'm of uh, African descent, uh, African American, uh, European American descent, uh, Western African descent, I should say. Every time you always have a downturn, inflation, and a crisis in America, the black community always gets robbed, looted, plundered, pillaged first. It's the same thing that happened with uh, Black Wall Street and the Tulsa race riots. And what that is, if you study American history as to what happened to the Africans after the Civil War, and all these little towns that was bustling and bustling, and then they just went into 100-plus years of segregation and Jim Crow, and where the dominant society came back in and looted, plundered, pillaged, raped, murdered, steal. That's a microcosm of the macrocosm of their foreign policy. And to us here in America, African-Americans, what we're seeing, we've already seen, we, we have documented history on what's going on for over 100 plus years. Their actions, the propaganda, the media, the spin, the setups, the false flag operations, this is nothing. I mean, this is all documented throughout our history. And if you can just go pick up a few books, uh, if you would like to read uh, From Superman to Man, uh, The Miseducation of the Negro, and uh, the, the Papers of Marcus Garvey, uh, Songs of Black Folk by W.B. Du Bois, These, all this stuff is littered. You know, the writings and essays of Malcolm X, all that stuff that you, the world is seeing right now has already taken place domestically. And now they are, it's pretty much like a band that said, okay, we've got this, we got our show together, let's take it on the road. And now they're taking that same act on the road. And what you've been seeing in the, for the decline of the last 80 years of American power is this band being taken on the road all over the place, from Vietnam to Korea, the Korean conflict to the uh, conflicts down in South and Central America, to the Middle East, to North Africa, to the Horn of Africa, to Europe, the Balkans. It's just, it, it, it's what they do. It's what the power, the elite, the uh, military industrial complex, those that it's what they do. I've got to tell you, corrupted. that was uh, a stunningly brilliant call. I'm really glad that you made it. You're a wise man uh, in Louisiana. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, shall I go to the next call? It's uh, Lalo in Texas, if he's there. Lalo, go ahead. Right Lalo, good here. evening, sir. Yeah, go on. Right here. How you doing? Man, I love your show. I love your show. Thank and, you, brother. And uh, what I want to speak about was uh, the same stuff that the gentleman in front of us is talking. Uh, I'm a Hispanic. I've been in the U.S. for like 50 years. And I disagree with uh, the United States uh, going in there 
into these countries and trying to dictate and run their countries and steal resources from them. And then that's why we have such an immigration problem, because all these people that live in these lands uh, depend on their governments to help them. Instead, they come and uh, I, I just don't want to say it the way it sounds, but Satan comes along and I'm speaking of the U.S. Uh, I, I feel ashamed to come here. When I was a little kid and, and I was brought to this country, I was brought here to, you know, for the freedom of the country. Because Mexico was uh, being dictated by a lot of dictators. The U.S. came in there in the 1800s and, of course, stole lots of the or was sold, basically, by uh, the dictators. And a lot of us came, you know, my father came in. My great-grandfather had a lot of land. It was taken by the federal government so they can put these gold and all this crazy stuff that, you know, man loves today. You know, it's the, the almighty dollar. And, you know, today we struggle for these jobs. Uh, they give a little here, a little there, and they rob it right back. It's just, it's crazy, man. Uh I just it's crazy, like man. Today. Lalo, thanks yeah. uh, very much uh, for that. In Newcastle next, that's Newcastle, England. Go ahead, Andrew. Hi, George. Um, thanks for having me on again. So um, a couple of questions really basically all rooted in what you think will happen next um, with the situation in Ukraine. So what you think will happen next if Putin succeeds, what you think will happen if he fails, i.e. what will be the impact on the Western world and, and Europe specifically, um, but also what you think will happen to parts of the world where the West has quite a heavy influence, so places like Yemen and Palestine? Well, uh, the... Uh prospect of failure uh, for Russia uh, does not exist. It cannot possibly be allowed to fail. And a country uh, with uh, uh, armed forces in the millions and with a fearsome array of even conventional weaponry, never mind uh, uh, tactical, intermediate and intercontinental uh, nuclear power uh, cannot be defeated, and it will yeah. not be defeated in its own front porch. Uh, the only question is, what are the terms uh, that it will be settled on? As I said here last week, uh, this uh, need never have started. If, uh, if neutrality had been uh, declared and uh, signed a treaty, uh, if, uh, if the Donbass and its special character, its Russianness, had been recognized uh, within the Minsk agreement, this war need never have happened. Uh, now that it's happened, uh, then it's obvious that those two uh, maximum demands are now the minimum demands. Uh, the question of Ukrainian uh, neutrality is a given. It will either be signed uh, in an agreement, or it will be imposed uh, by military victory. There is no other outcome uh, that is possible from this conflict. It's just a great pity uh, that it uh, took a war to uh, get here when there was no need for it to do. I've said many times, let me say it again, I did not expect this war. I did not want this war. It didn't have to be this way. Uh, but the responsibility for it lies 
with NATO, the uh, American Foreign Legion, uh, and the jokers that run it, uh, Jens Stoltenberg. Ever heard of him, anyone? Any of you ever vote for him? Uh, but he has successfully taken our economy and our country uh, to the verge of economic disaster as a result of the brinksmanship that he played. So uh, whether Ukraine continues as a fully sovereign country, albeit a neutral one, a demilitarized one, a denazified one, uh, depends on whether this ends with a treaty or with a conquest. If it ends with a conquest, then all kinds of uh, things will be uh, will begin to be possible. The entire eastern part of the Ukraine, up to the river Dnieper, uh, may very well be absorbed in these people's republics. Uh, the uh, access to the Black Sea, to the Azov Sea, uh, may be denied by Russian occupation, leaving uh, the remains of Ukraine entirely landlocked. Poland, which has designs on its former treasure of Lvov, Lviv, in the far west of the country, may retake it. Hungary, uh, with its uh, long designs on its Hungarian minority uh, Carpathian region, uh, may take it. It's possible. I hope not. But it's possible that the state of Ukraine, which I remind you existed only in the Soviet period and the post-Soviet period uh, may cease to exist as we uh, know it. But the best solution by far is for Kiev to sign on the dotted line that they will be a demilitarized, denazified, neutral country, not a part of any military political bloc, and will be a bridge uh, between East and West should anyone in the future ever want to cross it. That's what I hope, Andrew. As to uh, Yemen and Palestine, uh, let me isolate Palestine uh, from this because I'm afraid we're a very, very long way from a solution there. But the Yemen conflict can be resolved, and with Russia's new strength, its new importance in the world, uh, the direction of travel of Saudi Arabia uh, towards um, uh, accepting Chinese currency for its oil, for example, in RMB, in abstaining at the United Nations, uh, despite all the U.S. bullying and browbeating, it's perfectly possible that Russia could broker uh, a settlement in Yemen and bring that mass murder in Yemen to a close. Last word to you, Andrew. So, yeah, you mentioned Yemen there. Do you think Russia would be, and sorry if you've covered this before, this is a basic question, do you think Russia would be incentivized to end the, the Saudi Arabia-Yemen conflict? I think that Russia is already massively important in the Middle East, more important than it ever was uh, in the time of the Soviet Union. In the time of the Soviet Union, you'd never have had the kings of Arabia uh, uh, beating a path to Moscow, laying out red carpets for Russian leaders, uh, abstaining on U.S. condemnations uh, of uh, Russia, and so on. RT Arabic is the biggest television station 
in the Arab world. Imagine. Uh, so Russia's prestige in the Arab world, all parts of it, is very, very high. And having stood up to American power and defeated American power in Ukraine, I think that all kinds of new roles for Russia in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, will open up. Andrew, thanks uh, very much for that call. Uh, Leon says, just saying, continue with the good job. Here in Kenya, I appreciate your show. The mainstream media are not showing the facts on matters Ukrainian. Your show is very illuminating. Thanks, Leon. And Ganzakan says, dear Mr. Galloway, greetings from Serbia. Greeting to you in Serbia, great people. And Tony says, I work for a FTSE 250 company. They recently publicly launched a support fund for Ukraine. When I discovered their stance on Russian sanctions, I innocently posted a lips-sealed emoji. My boss is now looking to engineer my departure. The Western world has gone mad. Well, parts of it uh, have, uh, Tony, I must say, but not all of it. When you think of the level of this hysteria, its traction down on the street is now well past peak, well past it. And as the prices rise and the economy suffers, then our government are going to be held to account for the madness of their foreign policy towards Russia. Let's hear from Anthony in the Midlands. Go ahead, Anthony. Good evening, George. Hope you're well. Very well, sir. Thanks for the call. I wanted to ask you, uh, I follow Parliament quite uh, regularly, but I was disgusted to see parliamentarians standing and applauding Zelensky's uh, video call to Parliament, and also to learn that Parliament uh, is 100% in lockstep behind the Ukrainian cause. Yes, they are vassals of the United States. It's not the Ukrainian cause. The Ukrainians are the people suffering the most uh, from uh, this madness. Uh, they are the people whose country is being uh, ravaged by war. They are the people who are losing their lives. The Zelensky clown show, uh, which toured uh, by video all of these parliaments, uh, evinced, uh, elicited the same response of clapping seals. The only thing I'll say to you, Anthony, is the last time I saw the British Parliament up on its feet applauding somebody, it was Tony Blair on the last day of the War Criminals Day in the Prime Ministership of Britain. Now, uh, for those who say that uh, NATO only attack people who don't have uh, blonde hair and blue eyes, and they have kept the peace in Europe. Uh, I have one word to say, Yugoslavia. Uh, the ruthless bombardment of Yugoslavia, its breakup, uh, the savage bombing for months of the European capital, Belgrade, appears to have been forgotten by a very large number of people. Perhaps it's willful forgetfulness, but either way, uh, they are shocked when they are forced to confront the facts. And no one has made them confront those facts more eloquently 
that my next guest, George Samuli, is, as I say, the author of Bombs for Peace, NATO's Humanitarian War on Yugoslavia. And he joins me now. George, thank you for uh, being with us. Uh, some say there's no God. Some say there's no God. Uh, but the demise uh, of Madeleine Albright uh, on the eve of the anniversary of the uh, savage assault uh, on that European capital is particularly uh, piquant, is it not? Very piquant. I can't say that exactly a very sad day today. Um, and as you say, um, that bombing of Yugoslavia uh, went on for 11 weeks, every single day for 11 weeks, 78 days. And what triggered that bombing? There was a, a, a agreement, a so-called agreement at Rambouillet. There was no real agreement at all. It was just simply a diktat that was issued to uh, the Serbs that they had better comply uh, with this agreement, because if they didn't comply with this agreement, then they would be bombed. And now the Serbs knew that they were walking into a trap, so they complied with a large part of it. But there was one sticking point, which was an uncontrolled, uh, unrestricted flow of NATO forces throughout Yugoslavia, and that they would be enjoy total immunity from everything in Yugoslavia. They balked at that. Um, however, NATO kept that very quiet. No one really knew that that was the issue on which the Serbs said no. And instead, they said, oh, the Serbs are so horrible, they refused to come to a very good agreement. As I say, it wasn't even any kind of agreement. And then they launched their bombing campaign. And, uh, and it just went on and on, and there was just no stopping it. So that, as you say, George, is completely forgotten. <laughs> so just being an ancient history. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yes, it is amazing yeah. how quickly something is designated ancient history. Uh, this was, of course, uh, in 1999. Uh, now, the, uh, the bombardment uh, was, of course, a humanitarian uh, bombardment. Uh, Clinton and Blair had arrogated to themselves alone uh, the right to protect. They even theorized it, RTP, right to protect. Of course, they were highly selective in who they decided to exercise that droit de seigneur over. Right. They never dreamt of protecting the Palestinian people, for example, under decades of military occupation. But they said that they had the right to protect. And when they're bombing, as bombing always does, 
started to massacre innocents, uh, like the refugee column uh, that was bombed by NATO. I saw a quote, I hadn't seen it for more than 20 years, from a man I mercifully haven't seen for more than 20 years, Jamie Shea, then the spokesman for NATO. He said the pilots had dropped these bombs in good faith. In good yeah. faith. That yeah. exculpated yeah. everyone from the crime. Yes, yes. Uh, it, th that, that's exactly what it was. And if you remember, they justified the launching of the bombing campaign. They said, oh, these this terrible uh, Serbs are committing these uh, horrific crimes against um, the Albanians. The problem was they didn't really have any evidence that the crimes, uh, such as they were in Kosovo, could possibly justify this massive onslaught. But then there was this massive flow of refugees uh, in response to the bombing. I mean, what happened? People start uh, fleeing. And then this flow of refugees, as a direct response to NATO's bombing, was then used as a justification for further bombing. Look, look what these terrible the Serbs are doing. They're driving out these poor, uh, innocent uh, Kosovo Albanians. We have to bomb that much harder. And then, of course, again, totally ignoring the obvious cause and effect. The bombing came first, then the flow of refugees, and then they turned it around and said, oh, no, no, uh, this, was, this was the Serbs who were driving them out. That's why we had to go in and bomb, because this is the kind of people uh, that they, uh, the Serbs are in the business of doing. This is, this is the ethnic cleansing that the Serbs are uh, seeking to practice. I, I remember it so vividly. I lived through it. I was one of a very few members of parliament that fought it every day uh, in the House of Commons. It was like beating your head on a brick wall. It was Kafkaesque. It was, it was Catch-22. Uh, it was everything rolled into one. But the egregious crimes against U Yugoslavia did not end there with the bombing, did they? Uh, the unilateral, illegal, unilateral declaration of independence by Kosovo was promptly recognized by the NATO countries, a right that they never accorded to the people of the Crimea, for example, or the people of the Donbass. Talk about this double standard. Yeah, that's exactly right. Keep in mind also that there was a United Nations Security Council Resolution 1244 that was adopted in June of uh, 99, just after the bombing, which explicitly stated that there can't be any kind of a change of status to Kosovo or anything without another uh, major negotiation involving all parties and the United Nations. So there was a violation directly there of the UN uh, Security Council resolution. But that's exactly, uh, you hit the nail on the head with George, because of course, even before that, with, during the breakup of uh, Yugoslavia, which took place in 1991, 1992, the uh, NATO powers, the Western powers, rushed to recognize uh, obvious illegal secessions. I mean, the secession of Croatia and Slovenia had been taken in violation of the decrees of the Yugoslav Constitutional Court. And this wasn't a Serb Constitutional Court. This was a Yugoslav Constitutional Court. It had uh, eight 
judges, each judge representing a uh, specific republic, uh, Yugoslavia, and the two uh, autonomous provinces of Serbia. So eight judges in the uh, of the uh, Yugoslavia Constitutional Court had ruled those um, uh, secessions illegal. Nonetheless, the uh, NATO powers rushed to uh, recognize them, um, and then you know, to, you know, despite the pleas of uh, the UN Secretary General at the time, Perez de Quay, was that don't do this in Bosnia because you're absolutely guaranteed to cause a civil war in Bosnia. It was just because the people, the people who wanted um, uh, secession were really not even a majority. And nonetheless, the Western powers did it. They rushed ahead and recognized um, uh, the independence of Bosnia, which absolutely guaranteed uh, the war in Yugoslavia, I mean, war in Bosnia. And then you have the same thing as you say, with uh, Crimea, oh, no, 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 we can't possibly recognize Crimea. Transnistria, no, we can't recognize that. Uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia, no. So you see what, what the standards are here. If they think a breakup is to, to the advantage of uh, the NATO powers, they go ahead and recognize the breakup. If they think a breakup is not to the advantage of the NATO powers, then it's absolutely illegal, unconstitutional. This is just Putin up to his dirty tricks. So there's absolutely no principle here at all, other than what's in the short-term expedient interest of the West. Now, uh, uh, amongst, uh, my, amongst my many sins, George, uh, I had a long conversation with Mrs. Thatcher uh, about this subject. Uh, she blamed the Germans for the premature breakup uh, of Yugoslavia for the premature and, as you say, quite illegal recognition by Helmut Kohl and Germany uh, of these illegal secessions. I mention it because, not to name drop, because I'm a bit embarrassed that I had a long conversation with Margaret Thatcher, but the uh, situation uh, that we now have is that Germany is back. What could possibly go wrong? There's going to be a European army with a German core. We've got the Iron Cross on military vehicles in Ukraine for the first time since they were chased out at the Battle of Kursk. Some fools demand more military spending and more military swashbuckling. Uh, by Germany. I don't know about you, I'm older than you, but it doesn't half make my blood run cold. Achtung and schnell are not words that I want to hear uh, 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 piercing the night in Europe in the 21st century. Yeah, well, it's very interesting because uh, Germany uh, played its hands very, very cleverly. They've, they've kind of, you know, hidden behind the European Union, behind this whole very bland, friendly, kind of cheerful uh, exterior. But remember what they did in the case of Yugoslavia. That wasn't just simply an oversight. This was the first act that Germany did um, after becoming unified, just within a few months of reunification, after all the promises that Helmut Kohl made to everybody that, oh, henceforth, uh, only peace will emanate from German soil. You know, never, never again will uh, Germany engage in any of the terrible things of the past. Boom, they, go, they move in. Where? 
Yugoslavia, where they have a long track record of playing off the various uh, nations and nationalities off against each other. And again, whom did they back? Well, their very allies in World War II. Whom did they uh, demonize? Their enemies in two world wars, the Serbs. So now we come to Ukraine. Well, who created Ukraine? Germany, Imperial Germany, created Ukraine during World War I. Um, everything that has going on now within Ukraine, the whole story of Ukrainian nationalism, Oundby, uh, Bandera, uh, Mikola Lebed, all of these people, they were all created by Germany. They all worked for Germany. It was Germany who, who really uh, was the architect of this rabid, xenophobic, Russophobic Ukrainian nationalism. So when Germany then pops up and says, well, we're just part of the European Union, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're supporting Ukrainian independence. Well, I'm sorry, but there's a long history here of German active involvement in Ukraine. Why? Because they were using Ukraine against the Russians. It was always, well, that's what they were doing. They were using Ukraine against the Russians. And lo and behold, as is always the case, the Americans have simply taken over what the Germans had been doing in the, in the previous world wars. I, if I were France, I'd be anxious uh, about this new Germany that is uh, slouching uh, to be born. Uh, Germany invaded and occupied France three times uh, from 1870 uh, to 1944. Uh, that's a lot of occupations, a lot of invasions in a very short time. Do you think Macron is at all anxious about all this? Well, I, I guess he is. Um, but the problem is that he hasn't shown any real leadership. I mean, you know, the problem with Macron is that he comes along, says good, intelligent things at times. When he said, you know, NATO is brain dead. When he says, you know, we need a dialogue with Russia. We shouldn't create a, a security system in Europe that is directed against Russia. Russia should be a part of the European security. All this is very nice and very fine, but then he never really follows through on that. He never really pursues the, uh, the sensible agenda, which was always to bring Russia into Europe. And of course, if Russia does become a part of the European security system, then the problem with Germany then goes away. As always, you know, with France and Russia together, they can balance out Germany. But if Russia is, uh, you know, pushed out of Europe, which seems to be where everything is headed now, then, yeah, then again, you, you do have a problem with, uh, uh, with uh, Olaf Scholz or Sergeant Schultz uh, you know, promising to massively increase German uh, military spending, yeah, then that, that becomes a problem. Who exactly is going to balance out Germany? Well, maybe the French will have to turn to us again, George. That would be, uh, again, uh, particularly uh, piquant. Lastly, um, there's every sign, and Schultz himself, whose father was an SS officer, by the way, uh, Schultz himself said today uh, that they are going to end their dependence on Russian gas, but it cannot be done overnight. In fact, it can't be done over a year of nights or even five years uh, of nights. Uh, the, uh, all the signs are in multiplying prices and economic problems coming down the pipe and with a banking crisis looming, uh, Putin said today that the, the West has defaulted 
on Russia by, uh, by freezing Russian central bank uh, assets. In days to come, that, the consequences of that will become very much clearer. All the signs are that all this activity has been to drop a large stone on our own feet, isn't it? I, I would have thought so. And um, uh, Schultz said today, and he, he kind of uh, <laughs> dropped a big stone by saying, well, you know, the sanctions shouldn't hurt us more than it hurts Russia. Well, it's a bit late now to suddenly to realize, yeah, it's actually exactly. really seriously hurting exactly. us more than it hurts Russia. I imagine what's happening in Germany is that, you know, the big corporate titans have gone to Schultz and said, look, you know, you, you can't cut off uh, you know, Russian energy. We need that, the oil, the gas, the coal. Otherwise, our great German economic miracle, our Wirtschaftswunder, is just going to go down the toilet. And these are the people that uh, Schultz has to listen to. You know, the, the other day we had the, um, the head of the Deutsche Bank said, we, we can't do any more sanctions. You know, otherwise, you know, our, the German economy sinks to its knees. The, you know, the one thing Germany still has to be proud of is its economy. I mean, it used to be very proud of its uh, formidable military. Now, you know, that, that's on, on the back burner. So it still has its economy to be proud of. But if, it, if this economy is just going to you know, go down the tubes, then, you know, Europe is going to go down the tube. I mean, Germany is the economic powerhouse of Europe. And I think these people are now going to Schultz and saying, enough already with the sanctions. Otherwise, we are in real trouble. Yeah, just when we've got a large number of Ukrainian refugees heading towards us. George, thank you very much for joining us on the Mother of all top shows. Now I've got a call waiting from Germany. Better take it quickly. Karen in Germany. Go ahead, Karen. Uh, hello, George. Um, thank Hi. you for this show. It's wonderful. Um, thank you. Wonderful in the sense that we're not being uh, spoon-fed. The... Mm. Yeah, this is the uh, Global Open University of the Airwaves, Karen. Y yes, yes, George. I can quite see why it's so called. Uh, yes, George, uh, your previous speaker, um, uh, George Samueli, was talking about uh, the state of the economy in Germany. It will be very badly hit. It's an exporting nation. Where it manufactures and exports. It's not a service-based uh, economy. It's a, an export economy. And I think Germany's beginning to wake up with like a huge hangover a huge hangover of what's, what's happened uh, with this, especially with the oil thing. But I would, I, what I really wanted to talk to you about was the reason behind, oh, behind this, uh, this war and, and, and this, uh, uh, the Americans want, really wanted this war. And unfortunately, you, uh, the Ukrainian people are being used as cannon fodder. They're being they used are. as cannon and, fodder. And they are. They are. And the Europeans are being sacri European interests are being sacrificed for American hegemony. I mean, how stupid exactly. are the Europeans to allow yeah, that? It, yeah. Uh, and, and, and we would think that now in the 21st century, we're living in a, a, a multipolar world where it, there's not just this American hegemony anymore. It's it, all these countries 
um, China, India, um, Russia, together, these countries are forming a front against this attack. They're forming a front, and it's gathering momentum. It's gathering momentum. And I think uh, my big fear is, as you mentioned before, this false flag operation. That's a very, that's my biggest fear at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But my second, it is mine. My second, uh, it is mine, yeah. Yeah, and my second uh, fear is I heard um, that Biden is putting um, Taiwan on the agenda when he comes to Europe in a few days. I think it's early next week when he comes here. Taiwan is on the agenda to be discussed. It's and, unbelievable. And uh, uh, talk it, about it, uh, it. talk about picking two fights at the same time. <laughs> hey, we can handle it. We couldn't handle the men on bicycles and sandals uh, in uh, Afghanistan, but hey, we can handle Russia and China. Before I let you go, Karen, let me ask you a question, if I may. I'm not going to ask where in Germany you are, but uh, do you have any sense of public opinion, as opposed to uh, the official uh, trumpets, uh, uh, your neighbors, your workmates. Are people yeah, anxious about what this is going to do to Germany? Well, well I, I, I'm in the teaching profession, and I teach um, It's a multi, um, multilingual class that I teach. I've got Russian students who are absolutely scared to death and in fear, uh, they can't, uh, and graffiti has appeared here on the walls with, um, against, against Russians. I live in, uh, predominantly, it's a very multi-racial area, and um, they're, they're, the Russian students are frightened because they are, uh, shops have been attacked here, and the propaganda here, I don't know because I'm not in Britain, but the propaganda here is quite strong. It's quite strong. It's frightening, actually. It's really terrifying. And um, people in general, people in general, um, don't talk about it. They won't talk about it. It's like a clumming up, if you like. People are afraid. You know, they're afraid. They're afraid. I think they're afraid. When I say afraid, afraid to speak about it. You know, the only very conversation powerful, I have with the only uh, the only people I have a conversation with is, uh, about this is uh, is my Russian students. You know, my Russian wow. students. And uh, powerful, powerful call, are, Karen. Thank you, thank you for making it. I'm very glad to hear from you in Germany. A poll update: uh, another uh, massive uh, uh, poll. Almost 6,000 people have voted overwhelmingly uh, that NATO should be disbanded. Uh, so people are uh, not as stupid as the government uh, would like them to be. Uh, should I read some uh, social media? May I? Uh, because I'm way behind. Uh, Ian in France says, I feel sorry for the normal people in Ukraine, but this was coming from a long time back. It's amazing how many people think Putin bad, Ukraine good. They also have no interest in the Minsk agreements or how they have been lied to from the start. And Chris Strange says, no, NATO might be flawed, but it actually has prevented a full-scale world war. 
so far. It's also stopping Putin from using chemical weapons or nukes in Ukraine. This is why he's trying to set up a false flag to justify their use. Without NATO, he wouldn't need to bother. That's from Chris, well-named Chris Strange. And Volker says the disbanding of the North Atlantic American terrorist organization is more than 30 years overdue. Adish says, I voted no to abolition because they should not just be let off that easily. NATO should be made to pay reparations first and then disbanded. And Lauros says, disband NATO, build a new not-for-profit pan-European security architecture, which includes every European country and excludes the US empire. Nationalizing arms manufacturers would be a good idea too. No more war as business. Let's go to San Diego. Who wouldn't want to if you've been there? You'd be a fool to pass up the opportunity where Chuck, who's a first-time caller, is on the line. Go ahead, Chuck. Hey, George. Great show. Love you. Uh, your straightforward delivery and authenticity reminds me of a dearly departed friend of ours, uh, Ed Schultz, uh, who Americans well, could uh, certainly uh, use right now. How lovely that you should say so. Chuck, Ed Schultz was a friend of mine. Uh, I spoke a week or two ago about the, uh, the uh, I was going to call it an atrocity, but it's more an absurdity. Russification. Uh, that uh, that uh, four years dead, Ed's tweet, which reemerged from just before he died, was stamped Russian-affiliated media. He was a dead American. Go ahead, Chuck. Uh, yeah, getting to Joman's uh, point earlier about American history, Americans have been dumbed down. They have no knowledge of American history, much less European and world history. There, there's a book called... Um, the Devil's Playground, uh, the Devil's Chessboard, which is about the genesis of the CIA under Alan Dulles and the policies that they were uh, putting forth with his brother, John Foster Dulles, who was the Secretary of State of Eisenhower. They deposed uh, democratically elected uh, representatives and leaders in Guatemala, in uh, the Dominican Republic. They deposed Mossadegh in uh, uh, in Iran. Uh, so, in in, a, in essence, we are living in the world created by these people prior to yeah. World War II. And Germany's yeah. uh, attempt now to reappear on the world stage as a military force is something to be concerned about. Definitely. Uh, and Chuck, I don't know what age you are, but... Uh, People say to me I'm 71. Well, there you go. In that case, you'll get this point very clearly. People say to me all the time, daily almost, why do you keep going on about the Second World War? The answer is because we're still living under the circumstances created by the Second World War. And history is repeating itself. Fascists are back. They're being, they're, we're being told, well, they're not quite Nazis. They're only neo-Nazis. Uh, and, and, and Nazis, good 
uh, and, uh, and, and Russia, which destroyed Nazism, bad. Yeah, on September 10, uh, 2001, George Bush was a failed president. After the attacks on the World Trade Center, uh, his pro- his popularity went up to 90%. I was one of the 10% that never approved of him. Today in America, 90% of people support the Ukraine people, though they have no idea what they're talking about. I'm one of the 10% of people who see the uh, the... Uh, the, the absolute uh, censorship of RT here in America. So if you're not getting both sides of the story, what are you getting? You're getting propaganda meant to uh, manipulate your emotions. Well, that's right, Chuck. But let me play devil's advocate here. You're living not just in one of the greatest countries ever made. Uh, you're living in California. Uh, the heart of uh, the internet age. Not, you know, your south, but Silicon Valley isn't that far away from you. You know, you can let your fingers do the walking. Uh, the, the truth is but a couple of buttons on a switch on a keyboard away. Why are people in the 21st century, a highly educated people, like the American people, like the British people, who have the technology to find the truth. Why is there so little appetite for doing so? Well, they've been dumbed down. Uh, When someone like Jimmy Dore, who speaks the truth, can be uh, marginalized and could be taken off the air at any moment, that makes me concerned. Uh, And the final thing, George, I'll say is I'm an atheist, but I do wish it today that there was a hell that Madeleine Albright could go to. (laughs) <laughs> you and Thank me you both. very much. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm not an atheist. I'm perfectly sure that's where she's headed. Thanks for the call. Uh, Malcolm is in Edinburgh, not quite as sunny as San Diego, but nice nonetheless. Go ahead, Malcolm. Yes, George, you're looking dapper as ever, my man. Thank you, my uh, friend. This evening, I'd like to talk about um, the comments by Julia Hartley Brewer and for your American audience, I would imagine that's similar to a Fox News contributor to say you should be locked up in Sanibel or Capilla in Florida, which is not a bad exactly. uh, place to be, <laughs> a wonderful place. Um, but I think, George, I think you're actually, uh, you've got to give uh, Julia a little bit of a break here. When she talked about masks and mandates, she was talking to her audience and the knowledge base of her audience. I honestly believe that only one in a hundred people really realize what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, if they can point point out in a map. And she's talking to an audience, and I don't think she has the knowledge base to actually give uh, an accurate response on what's happening. I don't think people have the time of day to do that, you know? I think that's right, Malcolm. Uh, And I'm only talking half in jest in any case, but it's really not the Russia-Ukraine issue I'm talking about. It's the issue of freedom of speech. If, I mean, it goes without saying, surely. Freedom of speech for people uh, that you disagree with is the only freedom of speech that means anything. Uh, If you only give freedom of speech to people who agree with you, then it isn't freedom of speech. It's axiomatic uh, that freedom of speech must mean 
uh, that people who think differently to you must be free to say so, not be banished into an internment camp, even one in as lovely a place as the Isle of Man. Yeah, but George, what, 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 the whole principle that leads on to the, my next point is that I have a, a, a perspective on what's happening uh, currently. And my perspective is that, um, you know, her talking point in two, three months from now will be a complete shock. And how on earth could airliners be brought down in Europe when you're feeding Nazis who are going to lose the war and you're feeding in ISIS terrorists who can then feed it through an illegal, illegal arms scenario into Europe, and you're going to see you're going to see airliners getting brought down in the in this summer in Europe based on people being shut down from the speech of that it's not a good idea to put thousands of stingers and javelin missiles into Eastern Europe into the hands of Nazis who are going to lose the war and they're going to be disenfranchised, they're going to be feel let down by the West and they're going to start firing these missiles and of course it will be Russia's fault. Well, of course, uh, uh, that's what they'll try to say. I think that was beautifully expressed, by the way. Uh, that's what they'll try to say, but I'm not sure that that will uh, work. Um, this immoral tactic that my enemy's enemy is my friend has already been tried before over and over again. We're endlessly recycling uh, the same nonsense. We supported uh, the uh, Islamist head choppers uh, in the 1980s in Afghanistan, and look what happened. Look what happened next, and then look what happened after next. We, we keep doing this. And now, uh, if I can be blunt, it's one thing doing it over there, but this is being done right here in Europe. These ISIS and Al-Qaeda figures that are now available on my Twitter feed fighting in Ukraine are not going to go back to Syria when this war is over, they'll not even be able to get back to Syria. They're going to Germany, Belgium, France, Britain. That's where they'll end up. And these Nazis with their SAM missiles, you're right. Where are they going to go? They'll not be able to function in uh, a Russian-influenced or even dominated Ukraine. So. They have to go west. This is the importation of massive destruction into the European continent. And if our leaders say it was Putin's fault, I'm not sure that our people are going to believe them. Thanks uh, for a brilliant call, uh, Malcolm, in Edinburgh. I better read uh, some more. Lily says, I hope I live to see the abolition of NATO. I hope you do too, Lily. And Mark Jameson says, I wonder if Britain will ever be an independent country, or if it will forever remain just another American satellite state. And Kevin says, I can still remember Ronald Reagan's comment that if there's to be survivors of a nuclear war, I intend to make sure they're American survivors, thus revealing the cynical motivation behind citing nuclear missiles throughout Europe, including the UK. And two weeks, says, 
NATO is the UK's last big stick in Europe. When it's gone, the UK is a giant Ireland. It will be much better for it too. You stole the words right out of my mouth. Glorious isolation allowed Great Britain to build an overseas empire. And R. Matthews says, no, George has gone full tanky. I've gone full Yankee. Never forget the T-34, my friend. The Germans never will. Any calls? No. Let me continue then. Z says NATO is America's Trojan horse. And S-Boy says that's exactly how they used NATO in Yugoslavia. It would have been illegal for the U.S. to do it, so they hid behind NATO to do their dirty works. And Stuart Wheeler says the world needs to put all its efforts into beefing up the United Nations. And the nations of the world need to learn to stand collectively, if necessary, against the USA, Russia, and China. Personally, I think only one of these great powers would be opposed to a stronger United Nations. Let's go to Andre in Virginia. Go ahead, Andre. Hey, George. First time caller. Long time watcher. Welcome. Enjoy very, very welcome, sir. Love you, man. Thank you. Love you, man. Thank you, bro. All right. Thanks. So my my thing today is I'm very upset because it's time for us as, how would I say this? As American, but just, not just as American, but everybody all over the world needs to wake up. We need to wake up. You know, a, a, a famous person, I'm sure you know him, Jesse Ventura, always says, when the government lies, the truth now becomes a traitor. We need to wake up because we're being lied to every day. That's the reason why they keep banning news outlets like RT. I miss watching RT on YouTube, but don't worry, I found them. But, um, you know, I'm very upset because my tax dollar as a citizen is not going towards building a country or building up our nation or healthcare or taking homeless people off the streets. It's going towards building bombs and missiles to drop on people. And it's time for us now to try to petition our government to stop doing these things. I mean, what is it for? It's for nothing. And the UK, for example, they got Julian Assange in prison for no reason at all. They need to let him go because what the guy was saying was actually true. You know what I mean? When he, are we he was exposing up, right? he was exposing war crimes, and now exactly. he's facing 175 years in jail. Exactly, and the way the mainstream media here is just showing out the story. We look. I don't believe in the mainstream media from day one. All right, and I go to other places, especially remote, which is mother of all talk show. I rely on you guys for my for my news info now because you guys are more precise in your. In, in the way you, you, you cover your story, man. And like I said, I'm proud of you, um, George, and I hope Thank you continue you. to sound your voice like a trumpet, all right? Thank you. God sound bless you. That like really touches me, Andre. That really touches me and moves me, and I'm very, very grateful uh, to you uh, for that. Should NATO be disbanded? Well, you really need to get voting because over 6,000 people have now voted, and it is overwhelming. Uh, it is uh, also very busy on the lines. Uh, one of my family members is struggling mightily to handle, in fact, two of my family members are struggling mightily to handle the huge volume uh, of calls. This is um, Moats Extra, of course. We are very short of resources. 
uh, it was always touch and go if we could bring a, a Wednesday extra show. But I thought in the uh, circumstances, the enormity of the circumstances we're in, that we had to try and do it. And the numbers certainly justify it. Uh, uh, not as big an audience as the Sunday, but almost as big an audience as the Sunday. Who's on line one but Darren in Manchester. Go ahead, Darren. It's Darren, George. Nice to hear from you. What would you like to say? Um, I'd just like to speak to you about the um, the announcements today from Rishi Sunak. Um, and do you think that the UK government has now realised that they've um, made a mistake or at least are having second thoughts about the situation in Ukraine um, and that they potentially are trying to keep the, the, you know, the population on side? Um, by making those announcements. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, uh, just for the for the global audience, brother, uh, let me say that Rishi Sunak is the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which means the Finance Minister. Uh, he's brought forward uh, a statement and a package to respond to the extraordinary rises, inflation up to 7%, uh, and much, much more in the pipeline. Uh, the petrol price spiraling out of control. He's brought forward a package to try and tackle that. Uh, what did you think of the package that he introduced, Darren? Do you think it will do it? Um, I think it's wholly inadequate, to be honest. Um, I think that the, the cost of living crisis is rising exponentially and, and it, it goes as far as things like uh, public sector pay, um, not keeping pace with inflation. I know that there's a lot of reference in the Tory rhetoric about uh, private sector pay and how many jobs are created and how many um, opportunities there are and how public, how private sector pay is keeping pace with inflation. Um, but the, the, I work in the public sector and I, I have issues with um, with, with inflation. We got 1.75 percent. Well, yeah, 1.75, uh, which is a lot less than the parliamentarians got. But in any case. In the public sector, you've been going through this now since the crash in 2008. Exactly. Um, and I, we, we, I had a conversation about with somebody this, about this the other day, and, and um, they were shocked when I turned around. And I said, well, in real terms, since 2010, then we now work a day for free. We've had a 20% uh, drop in real terms in our pace since 2010. Um, but kind of get, get, moving back to the, to the main point that I wanted to make, um, do you think that there's a little bit of appeasement with the kind of tiny little um, incentives that that Rishi's given today to the to the British public um, to try and appease? Well, I'll be honest. I'll be honest with doing. you. Uh, without giving away where I am, uh, and you'll understand that uh, I had I was driving uh, for many hours today, uh, so I'm actually and and I can no longer listen to the news on the mainstream media uh, because, uh, you know, it puts my blood pressure up. So you know far more about the package than me. All I know about it is that uh, he's going to reduce fuel duty by five pence per litre. Well, if that's the extent of it, that certainly will not do. That's effectively saying, uh, I'll, I'll bring the price back to what it was last Sunday. Uh, and next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, it'll continue to uh, multiply. So if, if that's the extent of it, uh, then it will not 
uh, appease people. Except I'll say this, Darren, our people are incredibly, uh, incredibly slow to move. As I pointed out on that P&O story, where P&O gave two hours notice to their entire workforce to get off the ships, to be replaced by agency labor from low-wage countries uh, at £1.60 an hour. £1.60 an hour. Almost two-thirds less uh, than the national minimum wage. If that had happened in France, the workers would have taken over those ships there and then. In fact, some of them would be burning in the English Channel right now. But our people don't act and they don't have unions uh, that are ready to lead them in the action that needs to be taken. Darren, thanks for the call. Yanni is in China. Let's go to China. Don't get many calls from there, especially at this time of night in China. <laughs> Yanni, welcome. Thank you very much. It's an honor talking to you, and I appreciate very much your hum how humble you are when you speak to people on the telephone. Thank you. What I wanted Thank to talk you, about is about uh, the negative uh, attitude of the West towards China. And I am here 70, about 17 years now. I'm an old man. I'm about uh, 79 years old. So I do a normal life. I work normally. Everything normal. But... What I want to say is that this horrific, you know, this tremendously um, malicious uh, expressions against China, it's wrong because they are ignorant. They don't know what's going on in China. I'll give you an example. One example. Uh, you can protest in China. You can. As long as you don't make it difficult for somebody else. So if you want to protest, you go through the channels and you protest. I've seen, for example, in Xiamen, uh, they were going to build a chemical factory and the people protested. The factory was not built. So who, who took 800, 800 million people out of poverty in the world? Nobody. Only Chinese did it. So they, they presented Chinese as being aggressive. They're not aggressive. It's the mindset of the Chinese. It's not aggressive. It's the nature. So my conclusion is that all this is because if people in the West will realize that for the Chinese people, the first priority is to have an uplifting of life, of the standard of life, to be able to go to school, the children to walk safely at the midnight on the streets, and all these people dancing, every, every neighborhood in China have dancing, public dancing. You know, there are about 100 people and they are dancing because they're happy. So it's a happy nation. And I also, when you live in a happy nation, you become happy also. Whenever I go to Europe, because I go very often, I, I see people are so kind of tense, suppressed, and all this. So the conclusion is that if people realize that their own government have failed to deliver to the people even the 5% of what Chinese have delivered to the people, then what is going to happen? There will be... May God, may God preserve you. May God preserve you, Yanni. That was as beautiful a description uh, of the good side of China as anyone will ever do, and nobody paid you a cent for doing it. Let's go to Jeremy in Mississippi. Why not? Go ahead, Jeremy. 
Hey, George, how you guys doing? Can you, am I coming through okay on your end? Mighty clear across the whole world, Jeremy. Go ahead. <laughs> I appreciate you guys taking my call. Uh, first of all, I just want to say congratulations to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Julian Assange. Uh, it's been a long time coming, and they will deserve it. I also want, uh, want to thank you for you know dedicating your show to them because uh, you know it's uh, it, it, you know in, in all this trouble we're going through you know, around the world. It was good to know that you know people can still find uh, ways to be happy and uh, celebrate their love for each other. Um, also, too, I was going beautiful, to call, beautiful, to, Jeremy, uh, beautiful. go very off top, topic for a minute, but uh, um, right now, and, you know, and another thing on a side note, it, it's amazing that I can uh, get in touch with you, and because uh, I stay in the U.S., and it's amazing that I can get in touch with someone in the British Parliament, but it seems I'm having trouble, you know, uh, getting in touch with... Uh, uh, members of my Congress or members of my Senate, people that represent me, but they're too busy buying shares. You. <laughs> they're they're too busy buying shares in the in the drug companies and the arms companies. They've got no time to talk to Jeremy, their voter, to whom they're responsible. Yeah, and uh, like I say, but on a side note, um, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm I'm, I'm not going to try to hold any of your other calls up because I know you got so many. But uh, my situation is that I don't have health insurance. I haven't had health insurance since I was 16 years old. Uh, um, my daughter's health insurance is 300. We can't seem to get that here for some odd apparent reason, but we can afford money to bomb people. We just can't afford money to save people. Also, too, uh, a lot of people don't know this about Jackson, Mississippi, or the Mississippi area. Our water pipes are, you know, they haven't been worked on since the 60s or the 70s. Um, we got pipes break, breaking uh, all around the city here, and nobody seems to care. Nobody in the city council, nobody in the in the government, the mayor, the governor, nobody. Um, but uh, I was going to ask you, since you know so much about this and you've had uh, so much success in doing this, uh, in the UK, what do you think would be a good way to start? I mean, I know you're, you're starting to hear about, you know, more and more about third parties coming up, but I was going to also ask you, like, what do you think would be the best way to, for people to get behind a third party and to have a successful third party? Because apparently, uh, they can't, they have trouble getting ballot access in all 50 states. Not only that, but, uh, you know, you really, uh, if you take Jill Stein, for instance, uh, she was trying to get to the, um, the, the Barack Obama and the Mitt Romney. You know, she wanted to be in, involved in that debate, and she went there, and then they arrested her, and they handcuffed her to a chair for, what, eight hours, I believe. So uh, you can't even uh, able to debate or get your point across. Uh, so what? What do you think? Uh, what would you suggest? Well, it's it's a very big it's a very big question, uh, Jeremy. It might have to be returned to uh, another time. But uh, I, I I treat as an axiom that neither the Democrats nor the Republicans are going to take America out of this crisis, and they're not going to. Uh, be able to or willing to uh, rebuild America. Imagine, as you inferred, uh, if all this treasure of trillions that has been spent on war overseas, imagine if that had been spent on America itself. 
if it had been spent on your roads and your bridges and your health and your education and your infrastructure, your water pipes, America could have been a land of milk and honey for its people instead of hell for tens, scores of millions of its people. If that money had been spent on uh, proper policing uh, that doesn't uh, militarize and criminalize uh, whole sections of cities in America, if, if your people could have been educated with that money, how much better an investment would that have been? America has spent, I read today, $13 trillion on military spending in the 21st century, $13 trillion. And half of that, half of it, went to the arms manufacturers, the shares of whom, which are owned by the richest people in America, including the politicians that make the decisions to launch the wars that need the weapons, which make the profits. That's the cycle that you're going to have to break out of. My God, I wish I was younger, and I wish I was born an American. I'd run for president, I'll tell you, because that's what they need. They need somebody with a bit of oomph to them. Jeremy, thanks for that uh, call. I want to talk to our next guest, Dan Kovalik, who is a regular uh, enough guest of ours, though I wish that I could talk to him for longer every time uh, that I do. He is a phenomenon. He is the professor of international human rights at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law and is the author of several brilliant books, many of which are on my shelves, including his new one, which is not yet on my shelves, The Plot to Scapegoat Russia. Dan, welcome uh, to the show. Uh, wonderful, as always, to see you. I haven't read your book, but let me uh, take a guess because you and I are uh, fellow thinkers. We think along the same lines. The fuse to this conflict now between America, its foreign legion called NATO, uh, and Russia in Ukraine, the fuse was set in the Russia Gate hoax uh, that the Democrats set fizzing uh, when Donald Trump was elected. Is that, uh, roughly speaking, according with your a point of view? Yes, George. And first of all, thanks for having me again on your show. And that is exactly right. And that is exactly the thesis of my book that in 2016, when Hillary Clinton lost the election, the Democrats and Hillary unable to, you know, accept their own failings in the campaign, including calling their own working class uh, base deplorables, uh, decided to blame Russia. And of course, then some of the intelligence community, including the CIA and FBI, were happy to push that as well because they had their own reasons for doing so. They did not want Trump to have a rapprochement with Russia, which he was uh, you know, talking about openly in his campaign. And so this was really uh, a goal of theirs to derail any chance of Trump doing that. And I think that was effective in that way. And I think that 
it is effective until this day of creating this incredible animus, not only towards the Russian government and Vladimir Putin, but also the Russian people, you know, which you're seeing manifest now in ways that I've never seen, never seen even after 9-11, you know, when there was certainly anti-Muslim hysteria, but the anti-Russian hysteria now is just incredible. And as you put it so well, this was ignited in 2016 with the Russiagate scandal. And yet that Russiagate scandal uh, stands completely discredited. Uh, The inquiry, the Mueller inquiry and so on, uh, it, it, it has been debunked and yet people act as if it wasn't debunked. Well, that's how these scandals work, George, of course. Um, you know, allegations are made, although as one commentator said, I forgot who said it, but I think it was the best statement of the scandal. It was a scandal without any even allegations. If Even if you believed what was said, it was pretty <laughs> minimal uh, that was being said about Russia's so-called interference in the elections. But You know, the way these things work is they throw enough mud at the wall, hoping some of it sticks. And while none of it sticks, stuck in terms of being factual, it's stuck in terms of the memory, particularly of the American people and particularly of Democrats, you know, uh, people in the Democratic base who have clung to this belief that somehow Russia derailed Hillary's uh, campaign that somehow they continue to interfere in U.S. elections, and that Putin is the greatest evil since Hitler. And I, you know, that is how it's being portrayed. And again, I see this on my own social media pages. Most of my friends are Democrats, you know. And uh, again, the vitriol that's just being spilled towards Russia, and again, Russian people is just. Amazing, again, and particularly coming from liberals who were people who would generally eschew such things, but but now they're the ones kind of raising this banner. Yes, uh, I mean, on one level, it's inexplicable. The same thing exists here, but like everything else, much smaller than in America. Everything's bigger uh, in America, including mass hysteria. Uh, but the the... The irony is uh, not just that everybody is the new Hitler. I mean, I'm so old, Dan. I can remember the the prince of Arab politics, Gamal Abdel Nasser, the greatest Arab leader of all time, a man uh, precious, pristine, being called the Hitler on the Nile. So uh, anybody can be the new Hitler. But the Americans don't seem to understand, and many Brits also, that Putin is not a communist, that Russia is not a communist country, that it poses therefore no existential threat uh, to Western capitalism, that they could have been friends with Russia. They chose not to be. That's something I don't quite understand. Well, that is the tragedy of all this, George, isn't it? That, you know, and this Russia's view and Putin's view, and he, he said it recently, of course, in some of his speeches, that, look, after the Soviet Union co- collapsed, it was Russia's uh, uh, 
they anticipated that they would be admitted back into the West, that they would be part of the community of nations, even maybe admitted into NATO. And instead, the door was slammed on their face, right? That never happened. We have to remember after 9-11, Putin was the first world leader to call George W. Bush, offer him condolences, offer to help in the war on terror, gave that help, particularly in Afghanistan, where Russia still had assets. And again, uh, the U.S. simply uh, rejected Russia and Putin. And now that part of that was because Putin would not go along with the Iraq war in 2003, and that was seen as some sort of betrayal, right? Um, But in any case, I think the Russians are shocked, and they're shocked really right now. They're shocked that, again, they never were welcomed back into the West, even though, again, communism was gone by the end of 1991. And now they're seeing that this isn't just about communism. It's not just about Russia. They're seeing the hatred towards the Russian people being exhibited, you know, piano players, chess players, uh, opera singers being uninvited uh, from events, being fired just because they're Russian. This is now I've never I don't remember this ever happening in any other circumstances. Um, And why is this? I think there's a few reasons. I think one is that. Uh, and you pointed this out in the last hour, you know, with all this money, the trillions of dollars that go to the defense industry, they have needed an enemy. And they need a big enemy. It can't just be little Iran or Venezuela. They needed Russia as the enemy. And they they chose Russia as an enemy. Russia is a chosen enemy. It could have been a friend. They wanted this enemy. They got this enemy. And it will continue to line the coffers of these uh, defense contractors. And I think that's a lot of what this is about. You know, Russia, the hatred of Russia is in Americans' DNA, right, because of the Cold War. And even once the Cold War ended, uh, the uh, powers that be in the military-industrial complex wanted to continue, um, you know, the hatred towards that country. and, And it's worked. It sounds like a great book, Dan. One last question, an unfortunate uh, question, but needs to be asked. Um, I'm not a supporter of Donald Trump, neither are you. Uh, But I looked again at the presidential debate when uh, Hunter Biden's laptop came up. And I don't even remember it from the election campaign. Maybe I missed it. But everything, everything that Trump said about Hunter Biden and the Biden family's deep and unsavory involvement, unsavory to say the least, in Ukraine, everything that Trump said was true and everything that Biden said has turned out to be a lie. Biden's answer was, this is discredited. 51 American intelligence officers uh, have uh, described this as Russian disinformation. And Trump says, what, the laptop now is Russia, Russia, Russia? And Trump answers, yes, that's exactly what it is. Now the New York Times has admitted that the Hunter laptop from hell story was true. 
Trump was telling the truth. Imagine. Yeah, no, and you know, the interesting thing about Trump, so first of all, on that score, yes, he was telling the truth. And we actually know that the Western media, for the most part, made a concerted effort to conceal that truth during the campaign because they didn't want Trump reelected. And so they went out of the way to poo-poo it again as either another QAnon-type conspiracy or, or, as you say, some sort of Russian uh, disinformation. And so we never got the truth again until now. The New York Times, way after the fact, way at, you know, at a time when it, it couldn't do any political harm, at the moment, admits, in fact, that the allegations were true. But, you know, again, going back to Trump, the one interesting thing about him was that at times he told very difficult truths that people didn't want to accept. You might remember, for example, um, he said that the U.S. was supporting ISIS. Of course, that was true. He said that the U.S. was in Syria to take their oil which was true. You might remember that Assad responded by saying uh, Trump was the greatest president ever, not because of his policies, but because he was the first president who was at least honest about the U.S.'s true aims in countries like Syria. Um, so, you know, in that way, he was an interesting figure. Of course, he told his own lies uh, when, it, when it was convenient, uh, but he said some very uh, important truths that were not listened to. Uh, and that that's a, that's a shame. You say that uh, the New York Times have waited till no political damage could be done, but it might be done. I've been wondering why the New York Times has now told the truth uh, about the cover up of the Biden family's involvement in Ukraine. I'm wondering if somewhere deep in the deep. Uh, a conclusion has been reached that Joe uh, Joe has to go, that he doesn't uh, cut the mustard, uh, that the that the presidency will have to change hands. Is there any possibility I might be right? Well, I think you certainly could be. I mean, I certainly think on, as an objective matter, Joe Biden is not firing on all cylinders. I think we can agree on that. He seems. Uh, not in the best health in terms of his uh, mental capacity. I think a lot of people see that. And to have a guy like that in charge at a time when, look, we could be, you know, facing a world war or, or at least facing the possibility of it and need someone to get us out of it. It could be that the ruling elite have decided, as you say, that he is not the one. He certainly, I think, by 2020, will not be an appropriate candidate for president. And maybe they're laying that groundwork now to start figuring out who that person's going to be to take over the Democratic Party. Doesn't sound like it's going to be Kamala. Thanks very much, Dan Kovalik. And I look forward to reading the latest of your books, The Plot to Scapegoat Russia. Now, the poll is nearing a record, 8,200 votes so far. Again, absolutely, overwhelmingly, people feel uh, that uh, NATO should be abolished. Let's take a call uh, from Japan. The caller is not just a new caller, but a new female caller. And triply welcome, therefore. Ash, thank you very much for calling the show. What would you like to say? Hello. Hi, George. Thanks for taking my call again. 
I have two questions. If you cannot answer either, and I'm sorry, I came into the, the, uh, the show a little late, so maybe you've already addressed it, but I have two questions. My first question is Saudi Arabia. So it's not, it's almost a hobby at this time where America goes into a country that has oil and takes the oil. I always wondered how come Saudi Arabia has been an exception? Why was it never attacked by America or on America's radar? And another question I have is about money again. Um, they, Saudi Arabia may or has uh, hinted that it may start trading in, in Chinese yuan instead, and that might cause the collapse of the U.S. dollar, which many people say it's already on the, on the rise, the, the collapse. It's going to be soon. If the dollar collapses, doesn't that just mean that there's going to be a war no matter what? Because a, a, a dying beast is going to try to fight to stay alive, in a way. Is, well, uh, look, that, that that's, uh, makes a lot of sense. That's a great call and two great questions. Um, the short answer is Saudi Arabia has never been attacked because it didn't need to be attacked. Its rulers uh, made a Faustian pact uh, with the empire uh, that uh, the United States would afford them protection much in the way as the Corleone family would afford protection uh, for uh, business people in its part of New York. You can tell I've just watched the new 4K digitalized remake or revamp uh, of The Godfather 50 years on. Uh, and the United States plays the role of the crime family that gives the rulers of Saudi Arabia the necessary protection. And in return, Saudi Arabia uh, doesn't just give uh, the Corleones large sums of money in two main ways. Uh, first of all, by recycling their petrodollars uh, through the United States economy. And secondly, by buying uh, almost unlimited amounts of uh, military hardware from the United States and Britain, which it's not capable of using, hence its eight-year and losing war in Yemen, uh, where they actually require mercenaries to operate and control uh, the uh, weaponry, advanced weaponry, which they buy. And they deposit their money in the United States. They buy uh, property there and indeed uh, in other flesh pots. Uh, around the world. So they never needed to attack it. But they might attack it now uh, because the ruler, the effective ruler of Saudi Arabia, MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, is beginning to show dangerous signs of independence, uh, including, as I said at the beginning of the show, uh, by abstaining in the United Nations on the United States condemnation of Russia, uh, by refusing to join the uh, sanctions uh, against Russia, and by being prepared uh, to consider the Chinese currency, RMB, to uh, be the medium of exchange for its vast oil exports. So if I was MBS, I'd be hiring some Russian bodyguards right now, uh, because he may be moving into a position where the United States decides uh, that he is, after all, dispensable. And they'll suddenly discover an interest in human rights uh, in Saudi Arabia and so on, all the usual cynical ploys. But uh, as to the dollar, I think it's doomed. 
And I think, you know, the U.S. went too many times to the well. You can't, I've lost count, I'm sure they have, of the number of countries and the number of sanctions uh, that, they have, uh, that they have applied uh, across the world just in the last few years. You can't go on repeatedly, go to the sanctions well to uh, spit in that well and expect still to be able to drink from the water. And I think that we've reached a critical mass now. India, China, Russia, Iran, Venezuela is a critical mass, not just of population, and it is that, but it's a critical mass of national wealth, of sovereign wealth, of resource wealth, uh, that it is actually able to say, we've had enough of you, off you go. We're going to build an alternative set of economic and financial and military relationships that don't require you. you, you you've just done it too many times. That's why I keep using the metaphor that sometimes people struggle mightily to lift a huge stone only to drop it uh, on their own feet. Ash, thank you for that wonderful uh, call. Uh, before we go to California, uh, let me read the news from the podcast. Yesterday, we had our largest ever day of downloads in one day in the thousands. Other than still being the number one political podcast in Ghana, Oman, Namibia, Ecuador, Slovenia, Zimbabwe, Malaysia, Bulgaria, Iceland, and Kuwait, as well as being uh, in 76 other countries' top charts. We've now got more listeners than Nigel Farage, more listeners than Sophie Ridge, who she, from Sky News, who they, more than the Times, more than the Telegraph, more than the Financial Times. Your boys have taken a hell of a beating. We are a media phenomenon, tearing up the mainstream media monopoly. Thanks to you, our uh, watchers, our viewers, our listeners. Uh, to never miss an opportunity, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave us a five-star review like GD in Australia did. Truth, truth, and more truth. Five stars. Galloway's a real truth soldier. His voice is genuine and that you don't hear very often. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, well, it's almost a record uh, poll, 8,600 votes. Yes, 69%, no, 31% on Twitter. On YouTube, yes, 90%, no, 10%. That's more than 5,000 votes on YouTube alone. And on Telegram, 1,000 votes say yes, 95, no. So we're not looking good for NATO. Uh, if our poll is anything to go by. But we've got to be fair and balanced, or far and balanced. My old friend, Farhan Fronchak, uh, she was my colleague at RT America before it closed, and we were both cruelly thrown out of work, but we haven't been silenced. If that was their intention, they haven't silenced us. In fact, Farhan, 
you've been on screen more uh, since they closed RT America uh, than you were uh, at the time. Uh, tell us first how you're doing. Where can people stay in touch with your tremendous output? Well, so uh, you can follow me pretty much anywhere uh, with on Fair and Balance, F-A-R-A-N, Balanced. But I'm actually now on the co-host of Fault Lines on Sputnik Radio at 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Time, where we talk everything from politics to Ukraine to social issues, what have you. So it, it's been a blast. I've always loved long media. But how media. do people, uh, I, Sputnik Radio has been canceled uh, also. So how do people follow that online? So rumble.com slash fault lines. Um, surprisingly, like the other shows like Political Misfits uh, and The Backstory haven't been taken off of YouTube. It was just fault lines. So I don't know if I my face had anything to do with it. I don't know. But it was the only one taken down on YouTube. So we've moved over to Rumble. Again, rumble.com slash fault lines. Well, I would take that as a compliment, uh, Farhan. They obviously uh, <laughs> wanted to close down uh, the best I've been talking to a number of very clever Americans from Louisiana, from uh, California, all, all over the U.S. Uh, in the course of the last three hours. Uh, some startling clarity from them. Uh, but they all report uh, that the state of mass hysteria unleashed uh, by the Western media and the political class is still holding up there. Is that how it looks to you? Absolutely. And actually, I would tell you it's even gotten worse, worse in the way that the other part that's coming in with mass hysteria, we're seeing a little bit of what we saw back in 2016 with the distraction of certain social issues. For example, one of the biggest one being transgenders here. You had Leah Thomas, who was a male, transitioned to a female. She came in to the NCAA women's swimming competition, wiped the floor of all the natural-born females that were swimmers there. Uh, the NCAA let her win the championship. You have uh, girls that were actually calling, uh, biological female girls calling for them to boycott competing against her. Suddenly, all of their Twitter accounts were shut down. Uh, then you also have a, a funny satire site, the Babylon Bee, where they had put out, uh, you know, it was Rachel Levine, who was uh, it was the head of one of the um, health departments here. They put out that she won man of the year, a very on the nose joke. They have gotten suspended from Twitter. So you have a lot of these social issues coming up again, also with um, race. You have Katanji Brown Jackson, who right now is testifying to be the next Supreme Court in front of the House, uh, excuse me, the Senate Judiciary Committee. And everything now has devolved into race again. And so you not only are you dealing with anti-Russia hysteria, then you have transgender issues, then you have race issues, then you have the price of gas, which people cannot afford. So you have a lot of, of just major problems going on. And then here, being in Washington, D.C., everything is just la, 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 la. Every life goes on when people are clearly struggling. You mentioned the first hour that, excuse me, I have a, several cats. <laughs> Just two, but um, you have you have people, or, or you know, over here around D.C. right outside of Congress, you have tent cities happening, and you said last hour that people could be educated, we could end homelessness, but we choose to spend it on the military-industrial complex, which is just insanely sad at this point. Well, the politicians uh, choose to do so, but the people keep choosing the politicians. So, in a sense, you get the government that you vote for might not be the government you deserve, but you get the government 
that you vote for, is there any sign uh, that the catastrophic conduct of uh, public affairs in America is leading to anything new uh, in American politics? You know, George, a lot of times you have these politics that run on, for example, you had Trump that was the outsider and you had a lot of people that caught, that you know bought on to that whole I'm the outsider and the outsider. Then you had the new wave after Trump of we're going to restore the soul of the nation. And you had that coming from Biden and many of the Democrats. And now people are looking and they're like, wait a minute, this is we thought we were just going to go back to normal before Trump. This is even worse than what we thought. So you have these politicians that they're saying one thing and doing another, because I understand you're saying you vote the government that you get in. However, these folks are running on pack of on a pack of lives on, on lives on both sides, really. So you do have November, though. We have the midterms coming in, and they're they're talking about more of a red wave than we saw in 2012 with the Tea Party movement. So I think you're going to see a lot of nastiness in politics. And frankly, again, Americans are just worried about their gas bill. They're, 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 how much they're paying in gas if they can afford their groceries. Because now it's gotten to the point, George, where it's a decision for not many families, almost all families. Do I choose the electric or do my kids have to go hungry for for the next couple of days? It's really sad. Yeah, uh, November, I mean, one thing you're not short of in the United States is elections. Uh, you, you can be sure who's going to lose them, uh, the ordinary people. Uh, but you're not short of elections, so you're not short of opportunities to make a change. Now, uh, I think a lot of people are going to vote, particularly where Trump has effectively picked the Republican candidate, a lot of people are going to go red, uh, which uh, in Britain would mean uh, go left, but in America means go right. I think a lot of people are going to vote Republican, especially for the candidates closely aligned with Trump. Is that how you see it? That's exactly how I'm seeing it. And you know what else I'm seeing with the, the far right? Or when I say far right, I mean the Trumpers, not, the, not your actual, your, your regular everyday Republicans and then your neocon liberals. You're seeing the far left and the far right coming together very much like how it was in 2016. But you're not only seeing the far left, right, the far left and right come together on that issue, you're seeing them come together on Russia. You're seeing them start to ask questions. Wait a minute. Why is it that we care about Ukraine? Why is it that everybody all of a sudden feels that they have to put a Ukrainian flag up in the window when we just got through putting taking down our BLM posters for race? Now we have all of these, these problems, again, these, these social issues and dealing with all of this. And it's just many people are very, what I think many people are, are really, really angry about, George, is there's no transparency in all of this. Say what you will about Trump. The guy always tweeted exactly what he thought, whether it was Kofefi or whether it was, you know, I hate China this week. I hate China. You know, we don't like China this week. However, you always knew what he thought. You have Biden now where we don't know if we, we bring him out on puppet strings and he's just made to say this and say that. And then he goes away for the weekend and we're all just like, wait a minute, what is going on? And then you have Jen Psaki, who gets COVID for the second time. Wait a minute. We thought COVID ended third the night time. of the State of the Union. Third time. Third time. Yeah. Oh, third time. She's, tri she's, yeah. she's triple vaxxed and triple stricken by COVID. Right. Uh, Joe was going to yeah. end the pandemic, wasn't he? Well, apparently it ended the exact same night as the State of the Union. So 
Thank goodness that the cameras were able to see everybody with their masks off. But now with Joe Biden going to Brussels and then on to Poland, Jen Psaki mysteriously gets COVID. Then you have Hillary Clinton, who all of a sudden gets COVID, and she's asking people, oh, give me some movie ideas so while I stay in all weekend. And boy, did she get trolled, George. It was that that I will say is is part of the American psyche where we still can jab and, and troll people. Some of our politicians, we still have our humor, thank goodness. But yeah, but it's it's just a lot Actually, of confusion. Obama, and there's Ob no Obama's also uh, now got COVID. It seems like it's a thing. Were they all at a party together and we weren't invited? What happened? <laughs> maybe maybe we shouldn't get too deeply into that, Farhan. It's wonderful to see you again. Please stay in touch. Thanks you for too. joining us. Let's go to Cass in Devizes in Wiltshire. Go ahead, Cass. Hi. Um, well, I'm just disgusted with the BBC because I was watching today. Um, I was just, just trawling through uh, the YouTube and I found a couple of clipped videos from about three years ago, where the BBC had covered the neo-Nazi concerns in Ukraine. And yeah. they went into tremendous detail. And you saw yeah. actual videos of people being, well, houses being set fire to, and people being victimized and beaten up and all the rest of it. And now, of course, they deny, there's, there's never any mention of yeah. Neo-Nazism. The, the furthest they get is to say that they're far right. You know, well, we know it's more than that, and nobody ever says either why the Russian army is surrounding Mariupol. You know, that they're just made out to be this innocent, this city. You know, why why should they have uh, have um, chosen these poor Ukrainian victims in Mariupol? Well. Why don't they say that the Azov Battalion is stationed in Mariupol? And what Putin actually said right at the start was he wanted to denazify Ukraine. So there we are. That's what he is doing. Why do they do you never get a side of it? It's just unbelievable. Well, that's a, a wonderful call. Maybe the last one of the evening. Maybe we'll get one more in. It's a wonderful call. And the answer to your question is that they are lying by omission. Because as you say, not just the BBC, uh, but the New York Times, uh, the Guardian, the Sunday Times, the Times, the Washington Post, all of them over the last eight years have run in-depth features. Of, about the Nazi problem in Ukraine, which they now literally deny exists. We're all conspiracy theorists when we draw attention to facts which we learned from them just a year or two ago. You couldn't make it up, Cass. You don't have to make it up. They are making it up. They're treating their viewers, listeners, as fools. And we're fools if we let them. But you haven't let them. I've got to clear the lines. There is, from Bristol, a legend on the line. It's Norma. Norma, welcome. Hello, George. Um, Hi there. I was going to... 
Hello? Yeah. Yes. I was going to talk to you just quickly about um, Julia Hartley Brewer, Brewer on the talk yes. radio. And yeah. um, the silly thing she said. But you see, she's got an awful lot in common with President Zelensky because they both um, don't want free speech. Zelensky bans the opposition parties and he refuses to ban the Nazis. And uh, she wants to ban you to the island man. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, in a democracy, it, they both want the... Well, we're not in a democracy in actual fact. Is they just want no. to deny people's rights, don't they? You know? Yeah. And but that's what they got in Don't common. you think uh, you and I are, uh, how shall I put it, done certain ash? Uh, don't you think we've been fooled all this time by considering ourselves to be a democracy? We aren't really. You're not actually a democracy if your rights can be cancelled uh, at any time, Norma. I know. Um, you know, George, I'm beginning to... I'm not very well at the moment, but I'm beginning to think I'm going to give up all this and just lead a quiet life because there's nothing that seems to be able to be solved at all, you know? Don't give <laughs> up rage against the dying of the light because we could not function as the mother of all talk shows or the extra uh, without hearing from you on a weekly basis. God bless you and may you recover quickly uh, from uh, whatever is ailing you. Norma in Bristol, I know that you have the good wishes of all of this audience. It's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you. And if it was, come back on Sunday at the same time in the same place for the mother of all talk shows. Good night. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.